Welcome to the AvGeeks Assemble podcast. everyone and welcome to episode seven of season two of the AvGeeks Assemble podcast. I'm your host Rob and with me tonight from the AvGeeks Assemble stable is Anthony Fogarty as my faithful co-host and how are you doing? Not too bad mate, yourself? I'm not bad mate, not bad at all. And joining us this evening is Mike. Mike, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. And joining us for the first time on the podcast is the one and only Mark Linham. Mark, how are you? Yeah, good buddy. you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Good man. So I thought I'd start this episode with a few bits of uh, housekeeping. Firstly, we wanted to thank everyone who has uh, sent in any comments or any thoughts about the podcast or the live streams we've been doing. Um, we do appreciate every single one of them and we use it to make everything better. And I'd also like to thank everyone who is in, uh, getting involved in the Facebook. It's something that we are sort of trying to push and uh, sort of spread the community far and wide. So thank you for everyone who has been involved um, and continues to be involved and we hope to keep good things on in the future. So I thought I would start with you, Mark, as it's your first time on the podcast. Uh, okay. Tell us a little bit about how you got into photography and how you got into planes. Okay. Um, I got into photography quite late um, in 2012. So I'm I'm 59 now, so it's 2012 that I got into photography. Um, I did a, a three-month Open University online course, um, which I found excellent and kind of got the bug after that to learn more about photography so kind of went on to um doing a little bit of all sorts of genres um but but met a chap who became my mentor who sadly passed away a couple of years ago um who started running um sort of studio workshops in milton Keynes. um whilst i wasn't interested in studio photography it it gave me um, a learning platform for sort of various genres so we did weddings studio flash off-camera flash all sorts art nude wedding photography um high fashion so we, we did all sorts and i kind of got a real bug for just general photography from there um shot a bit of wildlife but at the time the wildlife was mainly zoo stuff um so it's just just out and about with the camera um, and it and it just kept progressing um, and progressing. Um, I eventually joined a, uh, the Guild of Photographers, where I started entering their monthly competitions and did very well at that. Uh, and it just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. Um, but at the start, I was shooting all sorts of subjects, anything and everything. Um, you know, the, the all the silly things that we probably do on three six five projects, where you you'll shoot literally anything, droplets on a bit of grass and poppies in a field um and and sort of stuff like that but in time it started narrowing down into kind of um, aviation um wildlife and a bit of studio work it was kind of a it was kind of birds birds and birds um sort of metal feather metal feather and skin um and it stayed like that for a little while to be fair um the planes and the aviation started getting um more and more of an interest going to to Riyadh every year um 2014 i started going out to air bases um 
on my own generally i don't mix very well with people i'm a bit of a loner but my first visit it was 2014 to coningsby um and i i was wondering what all the excitement was at the time when i went there but they had some indian flankers in uh, which wow. was which was quite a nice time a quite a nice um starting point um so th that started that the wildlife progressed away from zoos into kind of more the natural wildlife um what kicked off the natural wildlife to me was um i generally go everywhere with my wife amanda um, and we was at rspb bempton cliffs for the gannets uh, but whilst looking for the gannets i saw my first barn owl in the wild um and that sort of kicked in the the actual wildlife i'd done owl days and things like that where everything's set up for you but seeing an actual barn owl um the, sh the shots i got weren't great but it meant more to me than the perfect shots i was getting on owl days um so that really kicked off the the, the kind of the wildlife side um the the birds of the skin variety kind of faded out um mainly because they were scantily clad and i don't think amanda really loved it that much <laughs> um so they kind of phased out and most of my studio uh, photography work was then basically on my son george because he's um, in performing arts so he needed headshots and stuff like that so and and that's as he's got older has got less and less if i'm being honest so now it's kind of aviation and wildlife are my passions um and and modern military aviation is my main passion um i'm not overly a spitfire and a hurricane they're great and lancaster's great but it doesn't really i wouldn't travel to see them um, it does. I know it excites a lot of people. It may sound a bit bad because they're very got a lot of heritage. The UK, but just give me a dirty grey jet making a lot of noise, and mm. you know, it's that's that's kind of what I like shooting. Um, and I'm heavily into the the the, the edit inside as well. I use Lightroom a lot. I use Photoshop a lot. Um, I, I love that side of things. Constantly learning. I'm sort of self-taught on that, but I'm probably known a lot for over-editing um which i'm cool with i don't care it's my, they're my images um but the wildlife is a is a great release from the aviation as well i could i can do that with my other half we go out to a lot of reserves we do a lot of chasing birds we've got like bird apps where there's rare birds and we go out and try and find them um so we can do it together and it's kind of similar to the aviation you, you, you're tracking f fast subjects that are moving um and that kind of thing but it's uh, that i think Looking around, a lot of photographers seem to mix wildlife in with aviation because um, they're, they're similar subjects as well and they balance well with the photography. But I tend to do the photography when me and Amanda go out and she has the spot, the spotting scope. Um, so she can see a crazy amount further than my lens will ever go with a crazy amount of detail. Um, so we get the best of both worlds and we've traveled all over the UK. We've um, gone into Wales, gone into Scotland, um, doing wildlife. Um, so it, it it keeps you active really does keep you active so yeah so that's what i do wonderful thank you very much and a nice nice little rundown and uh, i mean looking at some of your pictures you, you do seem to get everywhere and get lots of uh different subjects which is always enjoyable um yeah and that's, that's it and we do, do a bit of landscape as well because again you can mix everything outdoors is outdoors you know there's plains there's there's wildlife there's landscapes there's seascapes seascapes are quite nice as well um but they kind of fall off a bit of the, the landscape genre as well so uh, yeah there's so much to see out there and we just like keeping busy seeing new places amanda does a lot of walking so we kind of do the stuff together um she does a something called geocaching i don't know if anyone's familiar yeah, yeah, with that I mean. um yeah. 
but it means we travel to some great locations to get everywhere we go there's geocaches and generally they're all in really good locations so graveyards and things like that which are great for green woodpeckers um so i didn't know that but apparently it's quite common so we've seen some great stuff in in churchyards um but it just gets you out and about and you get to see some great stuff um and just take your camera with you because you just never know what you're going to see no exactly that and that leads us quite in uh, quite well into the the subject of this podcast um obviously we are mainly a bunch of aviation photographers but you know we we are at the end of the day photographers and a lot of us do lots of different things throughout the course of the year and, and when the air show season's closed. I mean, as I'm sure you're aware, the air show season runs mainly from about May till October and outside of night shoots and base visits, there's not really a lot else to do uh, unless you want to go stand outside Stansted and take a picture of a, an easy jet plane taking off. But I don't think anyone really wants to do that, do they? So this whole conversation today is going to be about the different types of photography we get up to um, sort of when we do it and just sort of, you know, talk about the other aspects of photography that we all enjoy and the passion behind it and that sort of thing um before we go into that i thought as this is the first week of react announcements i thought it'd be a good time to just sort of briefly touch on uh the announcements for react this week and obviously we've got a first year announcements for cosford so obviously this week in react we've seen the finnish f-18 has been announced as flying with the hawk on a static display which looks like it's going to be a really nice paint scheme one um, how are we feeling about that? Are we starting to get a little bit of hype building for React this year? Yes. It's, yep. For me, it's a bit early to get excited for React. Um, and I'm not personally, I'm not doing Cosford. I, I did Cosford once and I just, just shooting into the sun. Um, but actually getting out of the air show put me right off being on that one. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I tend to do Fairford. I mean, what will be will be there. Um, I'll turn up and, and shoot what's there. Yeah, for me, it's very much a case of I like the announcements, but un- until it's wheels on the ground on arrivals day, then I still I won't believe any of the announcements. Um, certainly won't get excited until we get to sort of like the the last couple of weeks. But even then, you could be a a few days away, and they'll have a big ticket item like two B fifty twos that all of a sudden can't come. Uh, the, interesting, this year's Cosford is I'm going to Cosford. It's my first Cosford, um, so I'm quite looking forward to that one. I mean, so far all the announcements are. Um, Things that I've already seen on multiple occasions, but um, yeah, seeing the Patrice Swiss again because Ant, you and I saw them uh, last year, didn't we, at the Duxford uh, finale. Um, did great little display team they are. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to see the the practice display in the morning and the actual proper display in the afternoon, which was uh, good for getting different light on the subjects and whatnot. But no, yeah, it's I, I think Cosford's um, sort of hit the ground running with its announcements. It's obviously stole a march on on Riyadh, Um who have only just started their announcements this week, like you touched on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the same with all air shows. I mean, last year we were looking forward to the Hungarian Gripen at Cosford and then it cancelled, but then it reappeared at Riyadh, didn't it? And then, like you said, B-52s were due at Riyadh and they disappeared within a few days of the show starting, but then we ended up with an E4 instead. So yeah, like you say, wheels on the ground is better than social media posts about what's supposed to be coming. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I think it's it's you know the last few years as well. Just to have stuff coming is is better than, than nothing at all, isn't it? And um, on the the Finnish side of things, I think we've got some of that um, some of those F-18s coming over for Cobra Warrior. Um, so that quite might be quite interesting to see Cobra Warrior at Waddington and Collingsby starts. I think on the sixth of March. So uh, there should be a nice selection of uh, stuff again, like you say, 
it's not happening until there's wheels on the ground, is it? So, well, with with Cobra with Cobra Warrior, I mean, like I was at Coningsby yesterday and uh, had a cracking day at the fence, but like obviously Coningsby being one of the uh, the bases that's involved in it, um, <laughs> you hear a million and one different rumours at the fence, don't you? It's like, oh, the Indians are coming with their Tedges again. Oh, the Turks are bringing over their <laughs> F-16s. Oh, the Turks are actually bringing their Phantoms, and it's just like. Okay, I'll just turn up at Waddington next month and see what's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think they they released the uh, the mission patch for it today, didn't they? Um, which seemed to have on it the uh, F eighteen. So presumably there is going to be some coming over, um, and the Indians yeah. as well. Yeah, the so, Indians. Yeah, so it'd be good to see them if they do turn up. Oh yeah, definitely. I'll be there. I've got that. Um, I've got that week off, so um, for at least some of it, I shall be there. And doing what I do. Cool. So, obviously, then moving on from that, let's talk about you know the other forms of photography we do. Obviously, we're all best known for our aviation stuff. Um, but I, let's start off with you, Ant, as you are based in the Midlands. What sort of photography do you get up to when you're uh, in your downtime well, or in between I mean, air shows and things? Anyone who's listened to the podcast before will know that I started in photography probably what, four or five years ago now, and I started doing landscapes. I very much like what Mark was saying. It was just a, I started doing photography just to get out of the house, just to not be confined to the same four walls all the time. So I was finding myself getting into places like Snowdonia, up into the Lake District, the Peak District, just getting out and about, getting active, and just taking the camera with me and seeing what I could do. Um, obviously, aviation took over from that once I discovered what the Mac Loop was and got back into air shows and stuff and whatnot. But obviously... I think you do. Everyone, I think everyone needs to have an alternate subject that they they like to shoot, whether it's landscapes, whether it's wildlife or whatnot. I like to shoot street photography. So I like to I like to get the camera and just put a prime lens on and wander around Birmingham City Centre and just see what I can find and just take shots of candid shots of people going about their daily business, um, some of the architecture. Um, events if they're on just just wander around just see what i can get so yeah that's uh that's one thing i like to do just to change things up a bit especially if you because sometimes you can feel a little bit stale like going to the same bases all the time going to the same sort of uh like you get to so many air shows in a season and you sort of think oh god another air show i think i did like 10 last year so i was i, I definitely felt like that towards the end of last year so um it's nice to have that sort of second or third option to go and yeah. um, take photos of. But I also, want, as well as that, I mean, I, I try to get out and do that as often as I can, but obviously it's sometimes difficult with childcare and whatnot and things like that. But I do also like to, which something I actually probably do more than the street photography is uh, a bit of sport photography. So my, my daughter plays, my second eldest daughter plays in a football team under 15s. Uh, it's just a local team. They play on a Saturday. Um, and a couple of years ago, I asked the manager if it was okay to take photos, and he was like, yeah, not a problem. And now I pretty much take the camera most weeks, taking photos of the games, and then just put all the, put all the photos into the group chat for, uh, for the parents to, to have for, the, for themselves. So keeps you sharp, keeps you uh, keeps your uh, photography skills um, on point. I say it does. I mean, I think, I think, as you said, I think it's important that you have different forms of photography. I mean, because it is as as much as we love aviation, if we're going to the same bases and the same air shows, I mean, I go to multiple Ducksford air shows and I can guarantee that at each one of those air shows, the Catalina is going to fly. 
So there's only so many different ways you can take a picture of Catalina, especially yeah. if it's the same one. Um, and you need that change to keep yourself fresh. Um, I feel like if you just you're taking the picture of the same things over and over and over again, and with things like street photography, that changes on a day to day basis. You know, uh, people are unpredictable. An airplane flying display, for example, it's going to do the same routine largely. Yeah. Um, every air show it goes to, if it's a base, an airplane is going to take off in a direction, it's going to come back in the other direction unless the wind changes and they swap around. So you're going to get the same pictures over and over again. And it is, there's a, a an element of predictability about it, which mm. I think I think what it, it can make you um it can make you complacent uh, and lazy sometimes. And I think sometimes it can kind of it it will lull you into a, a situation where you kind of you, you can doubt yourself as well. If you're taking the pictures of the same thing, you you become lazy. So you don't take good pictures and you kind of then sit there and question yourself. I mean, I, I mean, street photography is something I've I've always wanted to get into, but I've just never been able to. I don't, I don't think I can. I think one, it's a confidence thing. The idea of just walking mm. up to someone sticking a camera in their face, it it just feels alien to me. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, from Mark's side, if you've got a, a paying client or a, a paying model, they're used to having a camera in their face. Whereas Joe Public is just trying to read a newspaper. If you're trying to get the right angle on him, he's going to be like a bit kind of. Bit weird about it. The weird thing is, you say that, and I thought I thought that would be the case when I first started to do it. Um, but they they're just in their own they're in their own little worlds. They don't even know you're there. They literally don't know you're there. I think in it, the entire time I've been doing it, I don't think I've had anyone who's come up to me and said, "Oh, what are you doing?" Like they literally just wander around in their own little universe, and you could take photos of them all day long, and they wouldn't even notice. Mm. Um, I've had I've had. Um, women sitting at uh, bus stops singing like at the top of their voices of like builders sitting there smoking on their phone like just sort of do you know what I mean just anything and everything just do you know what I mean it's just that it's that people aspect that you sometimes mm. miss in aviation yes. and the other good thing I find as well is some, some of the obviously when you're shooting like fast jets or anything like that or you're at an air show you're following the planes around the sky you'll get the taxi shots and stuff like that you get all the, the usual sort of shots that you're, that you're used to seeing but the good thing I think with um, street photography is you can you can play with uh, you can play with different focal lengths. Uh, you can use a prime lens. You can uh, you can use like um, wide open apertures, so you've got really shallow shallow depth of fields, which is something that you can bring into your aviation photography as well. Um, you can use reflections and things like that. Um, use lights and things uh, out of focus foregrounds. Mm. Uh, you, there's all different things that you can try and experiment with. I find in street photography that once I've done it and I've done it a couple of times and I sort of know what I'm doing with that little technique or, or skill, I'll then find like yesterday when I was at um, Coningsby, um, I was on a ladder at the fence shooting through the gap between the top of the fence and the barbed wire. And I thought, well, rather than just getting the jet through that, I pulled right back to 150 millimeters and actually got the barbed wire the, the concrete post and the top of the fence as a frame around the jet and it was completely mm. out of focus and that's made one of my favorite photos from yesterday and i wouldn't have tried that if i didn't do street photography because i wouldn't have thought to try it do you no, know what i mean yeah i mean this is one of the things i mean I, I i've been very guilty at times of falling into the trap of just ensuring that i've got the airplane and sky and yeah you know using i mean there's a couple of pictures i've taken where i have used sort of the fence as a frame as you say mm. but i think as aviation photographers sometimes that for us it's the the idea is that you should always have the airplane in a nice clean setting with no sort of 
edge noise effectively um mm. and i think it's one of those things i mean it's one of those things why i i'm a big advocate of having different types of photography and trying different types of photography because you learn so much more one about composition um also about your camera and about yourself as well um i mean with something like street photography you can't necessarily be walking around with a lens that's got a range from 150 to 600 millimeters you've got to move yeah. yourself you know if you've yeah. got a 50, 50 mil prime lens and you've got yeah. to move to make that shot you've got to crouch down and, or lay on the floor or whatever to get that shot and it's yeah. Yeah. there's a i think with shooting other forms of photography there is it's a change in mindset that brings in it's a it's sort of cleansing for your aviation mind but at the same time you're learning learning so much more by changing things up i mean you know it's great there are people who live near airfields and they they can go out every day and take pictures and that is their their thing um but it's like sometimes you know if you step away from that for a few days even if it's just a few days just, you know it's that different shift that brings brings in new and refreshing elements to it yeah i'd, I'd agree with that it's a um for me, it's something like a bit like a reset or a refresh. You know, yeah. you can you can spend, you know, a few days at Lake and Heath or Collinsby getting, you know, decent shots like we all do. But when you get home, you think, well, last time I got the same shot. Mm. Or am I am I playing it too safe? And I think that if you go out of your comfort zone more with you know street photography or sport then you can those elements can creep into your aviation like you just said and you can feel a bit less safe sort of a bit more dynamic in what you're trying to do you can take more risks well it's about growing isn't it it's about growing as a photographer mm. so if you if you're going to keep going to lake and Eve like seven times a year or Coningsby five times a year or every rea and you just come back with the same shots all the time then it's going to become stale isn't it it's going if you i mean like this year's rea my plan is I'm only going on one day and the, the Saturday and instead of standing show center and just pointing my lens up at the sky, I'm going to go and stand up um, where all the aircraft are parked up and just get shots from taxiing and, and the crews getting into the jets and stuff uh, and, and the display aircraft. And then from there, I'll still be able to shoot the display. We'll just be at a different angle to what everyone else is getting. Mm. And that's what I want to do with my react this year um, because I've got, probably 3,000 shots from last year's Riyadh of planes in the sky that I haven't even touched yet or looked at or posted. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's pointless getting the same stuff. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. I go to, I, I some years ago, I started doing free app. So that's spending the whole week there. Um, and every year I go with the intention of having to wander around, trying to shoot different stuff. But every year I just sit down and shoot the same stuff. Um, and this year I, I took about seven or 8,000 images and I've not even looked at half of them because I was just uninspired because I just thought, well, I'm just shooting the same stuff. It's a, it's mm. a, it's a plane in the sky. And whilst I love it, there's, there's so much more to, to react than shooting that stuff and you can shoot it virtually anywhere. Um, okay. In the free out stand, you get the, the Monday departures, which are a bit, you know, they're a bit nice. Um, but on on the, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can just wander around and get it everywhere. So it's kind of like, yeah, I agree. You know, take a walk and um, and, and 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 get some different compositions. Um, yeah. I, and I'm going to touch on someone, like Mr. Mr. Cooper, Rich Cooper. If you look at his aviation, he does the aviation jets that we all love. But then he goes for the involving people. Mm. Um, yeah. in it and he and he gets the you know his his storytelling stuff so he steps away from the norm and involves the audience 
um, and, and captures something that, you know, grabs your attention. Um, and I think it, it shots like that. And I, I do occasionally, but yeah, I really want to this year. I think last year I was disappointed in my own shots um, in the fact that it was just like no real progression. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, I kind of thought, oh, God. And I just found myself not really editing much. Um, and I think that was my most disappointing aspect of the my aviation photography last year because I ruined it myself. Uh, and, and really, I just needed to get off my ass off the grandstand and, and stretch my legs and have a have a wander around because I was there for a few days. So if I missed the display one day, I'd get it the next. Yeah, yeah I think I think. I think part of part of the problem last year was that I think we were all just really glad that it was back. Yes. Um, and obviously after, after having a three year gap for, for obvious reasons, um, I think people just were like, right. I just want to just get back into the, the, the groove, the vibe, the, the feeling of, of the festival that is Ria and, mm -hmm. and, and, and just enjoy it as much as you can. And then you sort of think, photographically speaking afterwards you thought oh oh crap i yeah. wanted to go and get that photo or i wanted to go and get this photo and i didn't and you sort of the t by the time you get to the end of the show it's your chance has gone hasn't it so it's, i just want to yeah 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 i mean i mean i completely echo your sentiments uh marcus last week uh, last year was my first uh experience of free at um so i was there for the whole week and I, I said in my own head, you know, I want to go walk around, do different things, see different things. And I was getting there first thing and then leaving as, as late as I could. Um, but I, I kind of got swept up in this weird kind of a mix between excitement where I just had to take pictures of things. But then equally, I was in this kind of like, um, I've got to take pictures because it, it might get taken away again. You know, it was that. And I felt like I was so focused on making sure I captured what was flying that I didn't focus on my technique or trying to make things different. I was just trying to grab it in case we never yeah. had it again. And, you know, I, I think it's like what you're saying about um, Rich Cooper, how he brings the, the audience into things. This one of my big complaints about aviation photographers, and, and I'm as guilty as this myself, is that we focus a lot on the airplane. And when we have, when we go to an air show, we go to a museum, we go to this, go through a process where we'll try and cut people out, crop people out and take out lines and things. And, it, but the reality is that's part of the story. You know, it's, it's I mean, I've, I've seen pictures from React last year where people have removed the entire background and just left an airplane sat there on the tarmac. And it's just like, why? You know, it, yeah. you've got this, yeah, it's a great airplane, but you've not, there's no context to it. There's no, mm. you know, and with something like React, it is a festival of aviation and there's so much stuff going on. And it's one of the things I, I try and do now is I try and get as much, as natural shots of air crew and sort of um, people on the ground as well, like people who are moving to, uh, on tug tractors and, um, you know, follow me vans and that sort of thing, just to try and bring in extra elements of the story. And sometimes you can catch someone who's just like, I mean, for us, it, whilst for us, it's a, it is still a big thing. You know, we've seen F-35s in the flesh quite regularly, whereas you might catch someone who's, it's just in awe of this aeroplane. And being able to catch that, it's it adds an extra element to the uh, the scenes. And, and I love stuff like that. I love having crowds in pictures and that. So I think it just kind of, uh, it just, you know, it shows that you're at an active airfield and everyone's enjoying themselves and that sort of thing. I think well, it's see, really important it, to bring that in. We've, we've just said that Riyadh's a festival of aviation and it wouldn't be what it is without the crowd there. So no. wh why are you cropping all the people out of your photo? It's just, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. If that person wanted just that aircraft and they were focusing on just that, then fair enough. But for me, it's like, if you, 
if you're at an event like that, capture the whole thing. Get get the like, wide shots of the crowd with the like the reds passing by or something with their smoke trails and stuff. Or get like you can get the detail shots afterwards. So you you've got to change it up. You can't always be at six hundred millimeters all the time. Hmm. And that's I think one thing I found I was guilty of last year was was that I was always out at six hundred millimeters and not thinking well. I've got a prime lens in the bag or I've got a, a 24 to 105 in the bag. Let's wander around and use that, which is something I want to change this year. But just, I mean, we've, we've because we're aviation photographers and we love it, we've naturally sort of um, <laughs> on a tangent back to aviation. So let's, yeah. let's get Mike yeah, in. Let's, yes. I was <laughs> let's, say, let's, let's see let's, what Mike's <laughs> other passion is before we just turn into yeah. a react looking forward. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Mike, tell us a bit about your photography background and sort of what you do to, get your escape from airplanes cool so yeah this, this will actually link in quite nicely actually with the last bit of uh, discussion there where we digressed a bit further into aviation so i'd like to take you all back if you will to when e12 we had the olympics and we also had sir bradley wiggins winning the tour de france first ever british guy to win it and i got completely swept along by that and basically fell in love with cycling I did it for a few years and um, wasn't very good at it at all. And then when I got into photography, probably what you would have been about 2015, I became aware that in, in Lincolnshire, where I live, we have not only do we have, you know, a brilliant aviation scene, we've also got probably one of the most iconic festivals of cycling that happens in the UK every year, which is the Lincoln, the Lincoln Grand Prix. And the main events of that are obviously some road races that go through Lincoln City Centre, eight laps, I think, for the women. I think it's something like 13 laps for the men. And that includes this monumental hill called Steep Hill. And it's it's steep, it's cobbled, and it's just crazy. I, I, I couldn't go up it once, let alone 13 times. And... I think, yeah, 2015, we had the National Cycling Championships here in, in Lincoln. So that, that event became the National Championships for the year. And um, I thought, you know what, I'll, um, it's before I had my own camera, I'll take my own, I'll take my dad's camera. And um, the, the, one, the thing that I love most about cycling is that it's so accessible. So you've, you've not got fences, you've not got any barriers to it you're basically standing at the side of the road or in their kind of i don't know what you'd call it really they're like paddock slash pits area where their team buses are you can go and you can just be there while they're warming up while they're on their bus you know um, where the mechanics are, are working on the bikes and i remember that year I, I was stood basically three feet away from mark cavendish while he was warming up just um snapping away happily he didn't care massive melee around him just it was just um, a little bit surreal, really. And again, I, I didn't really know what I was doing with the camera at that time, but um, it just ignited something that I think is probably there for aviation as well, where it's just there's a there's a, there's an an accessibility about it that's not quite there with other things. Like you know, wildlife is always around us, isn't it? But you've got to go and find it. You don't know when it's going to be, where it's going to be. Um, well, it's, it's like an elite sport isn't it cycling it's yeah, it, it, it is, exactly it, is. The, the, these they're elite athletes at the end of the day and it's it's unusual to have a sport with elite athletes that you can just walk up three feet away from them and stick a lens in the face it's just mm. 
That's exactly you wouldn't it. be able to do that in the Premier League with football. You wouldn't be able to do it with F1. Uh, Jeremy, you wouldn't be able to go to Wimbledon and do that. It's it, that no, accessibility exactly. is dead right. You, you, I've, I've done I've done motorsport. Um, and, you know, I said I've done motorsport. I haven't done motorsport. I've been to Silverstone to the Grand Prix and you know sat in the grandstands and took some pictures. And you know you've got all the same kind of barriers that we have at air bases. You know you've got tall fences. You've got things in the way. But when you are just a guy at the side of the road with a camera, you know. It's, I don't want to say it's easy because it's never easy to get the right shot that you want, is it? But it just, it just feel, feels natural and it seems to work. And, uh, you know, a lot of the techniques that we use in um, aviation are transferable. So these, these guys and girls, if you watch it on TV, you think you get a sense of the speed but until you're stood, you know, a couple of feet away from them. You can feel the, the pressure wave coming almost. And then when they go past, it's just like a wave um again and it's uh, you know you can you can put things like panning to good use again different focal lengths i really like um i think the bit i want to link back to from the last conversation was again about the people so yeah you can take pictures of the racing the bikes and all that but my, one of my favorite sets i think it was 18 months ago again we, we lucky enough to have the national championships again in lincoln first one back after um covid and um one of the riders in the women's race was a local girl and um, she'd been a been professional for, I don't know, a few years. And she basically won the race in her hometown. And I was kind of there after the finish line to capture her first moments, you know, seeing her family, seeing her friends again, seeing her you know, team manager. And that was more poignant, I think, than any pictures of her riding her bike um, you know it was her you know hugging her team boss caught up completely caught up in the emotion of all those years of hard work to finally win a, a national title and that made it kind of feel a bit worthwhile for me mm. spending the time and especially it was, it was really cold as well it was like october evening and it just yeah it was it was a, a very pleasant experience i think and it just makes you Hungry to do it, you know. Hungry to do it again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's it's quite funny. Is that cycling is one of those things that is, especially in this country, is quite popular now. And there's lots of sort of racing elements to it. And it's about. I think again, it, it's something like that. Is it, it include including the crowd in that is important because I mean, it's, yes, they are elite athletes, and they're going sort of hell for leather. They've worked months, years for those races and that sort of thing, and so much of their achievements it's driven on by the people there the crowd that are there they're, they're there to you know there's a lot said in football about the the crowd being the 12th man and i think that there is an element mm. of that because it, the, the crowd around it can push you on and like we've said before the crowd in a cycling aspect can make a great additional subject to it can't they oh yeah definitely there's some annoyingly some really good pictures that i didn't take um from this year's race in Lincoln where um I don't know if any of you are familiar with Lincoln but there's a in in the uphill area there's like a, a square where where you've got the castle one side and you've got the cathedral the other and the race comes through there again it's all cobbled and one of the buildings is that overlooks it is um is a pub and one of the guys is stood in the top window of the pub looking down and you've got the, the crowds massed either side of the finish line and the you know, riders crossing the finish line at that moment where one of them takes victory. And I thought that was, again, a real proper, a proper moment because you can see the crowd all getting really into it. 
obviously there's the excitement of the guy winning. And again, it was not just about the guy winning. It was about the whole moment. And that was you know, one of those pictures that really stood out for me from this year. Just wish I'd taken it. <laughs> that's, it that's it, isn't it? It's, 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 it harks back to what I was saying about like pulling back sometimes and not being at 600 millimeters all the time. You can, you can, you can get like a cyclist on their bike perfectly framed at 500 mil, 600 mil, whatever. You can get an aircraft perfectly framed like that. But sometimes just pull back and show the whole scene of what's going on. Like tell us, tell a little bit of a story. And when you're talking about like someone who's put years of their life into a, into a dedication like cycling, um, and, and they're winning like that, that, um, that lady you were describing did then. Yeah. I mean, some, some, sometimes some of the photos we take in aviation, they're a bit cold. I'll use mm. the word in inverted commas is that they're, they're, yeah. they're sort of like they're inanimate objects. Yeah. You've got the pilot in there, but sometimes you might get a little bit of a wave or a sort of a hand gesture or something from them. But it, that emotional side of photography is something that we probably miss out on being aviation photographers because you don't see it as much. You mm. certainly Certainly not people hugging and sort of kissing at the end of a <laughs> at the end of a, a, yeah. a, a display at an air show, is there? Or or when someone's completed a Mac Loop sortie or something like that? It doesn't. It's, it's not the sort of done thing. But um... <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to. Aunt says about all, all the emotion and that. A photo I took of of my Amanda. She she walked around the the Isle of Wight. Um, so it was a hundred k walk. Um, and I, I got a shot of her walking across the finish line and she was in pieces. She was bawling. She was broke. She was, she was just fucking broke. And I, and I got a photo of her and it, it, I was kind of torn because photography wise, I, I was like, man, this is superb. It's absolutely superb. But then I'm thinking, bless her. <laughs> she's 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 a total wreck coming across that line because she'd been walking for i think 30 hours through the night and Christ. everything mm. but capturing it it's i think storytelling is a massive part of photography um and i i um i'm a, a panel member with the guild of photographers so i judge images every month and and a big part of how an image scores um is storytelling as well as composition as as well as um you know the, the focusing the editing the congruency of an image working storytelling is probably the most powerful um a thing of any photograph and if you look back in history all, all the moments is it, it's all you know caught with a with a photo you've got that that Viet, vietnam war one haven't you mm, yeah. um there's some really you know it doesn't have to be a great photo you know, um, technically, but if it captures the story of the emotion, that that's that's a massive part of it. Um, and yeah, in aviation, we often we often do miss that part of it. We just take a take a photo of a jet. Like this morning, I'm down at Lake and Eve. Burners are going. It's great, but it's you know I've got the shot fifty million times now. Um, so it's nice, you know. I was down there the other day, and it, you know, I, sh I shot a, um, an F-15 going through the back of some trees, and it just added something to it. It's just a bit more storytelling, and it's such a key thing for for any aspect of photography. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, 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 I totally agree, and that's that's one of the reasons why I don't want to sit at show centre this year at Ria. And uh, some some of the some of my favourite um, photos that I've taken at air shows over the last year. What one that sticks in my mind actually was. Um, the Battle of Britain air show at Headcorn, not Duxford, um, a couple of years ago. Um, 
they obviously had, I think it was about 10, maybe 11 Spitfires um, flying in like a Balbo at the end. Uh, and one of my favourite shots, I mean, the, the weather was truly atrocious all day long. I mean, it was mm. just threatening to rain all day. It did in fits and starts. And then it was just really grey and miserable. Uh, and it was just horrendous conditions. But then literally as the last plane touched down, Acorn, obviously the sun came out. But one of my favourite shots from that day was the 10 or 11 Spitfire pilots just stood around in their flight suits just talking. Yeah. Uh, and just just with the Spitfire in the background, like so you've got that context of who they are and what they do. Um, but they're just there having a laugh and a joke, talking about how the display went. And and that's one of my favorite shots from that day because it's got that per people aspect mm. and that's that story aspect of the photo. Yeah, I mean I, I totally I totally agree. I mean, I think one of the important things to try and get and we do miss it as aviation photographers when we are taking pictures of an airplane, it is the story. Um I mean sometimes I've found that Sometimes the best best story isn't the best photo. Um, so I hark back to a picture taken by a, a photojournalism is one of the I I love photojournalism and I think that some of the photos people get from that really tell stories and it, it comes back to that sort of street photography thing. I couldn't do it because at the same you know it might be a, a natural disaster saying and sticking a camera in someone's face is yeah, totally. not the ideal situation, but it's kind of it needs to be done to tell a story. And I think back to a picture by, um, I don't know if you guys know photographer Robert Kappa. He was quite a, like a military journalist photographer in the sort of uh, Spanish Civil War and World War II and that. Um, and he came aboard uh, on one of the waves after D-Day and he had his camera with him. And he took a, a bunch of photos and it ended up being, um, the camera ended up being passed off to a, a junior officer who then went to get developed and managed to, I think the, effectively what happened is they took the film out in sunlight and completely ruined everything but one picture that was managed to be saved and it's sort of one guy wrapped up against a, a sort of an anti-tank defense on the beach and it tells the story of the d-day invasion so well but yeah. it's it's because it was just sort of an, uh, the only shot that survived it wasn't a, one of the perfect shots he, that he he's taken but it shows the emotion it shows the the story of what was happening the the, the frantic nature and everything of it and it's it's so important that pictures tell a story. I mean, it, I mean, I used to go to photography clubs, and you get lots of lovely pictures coming in that are technically brilliant. But it's like, you know, what's the story behind this? You know, mm. what what am I seeing here? Well, like, like like you and you and Mark have both alluded to, like some of, some of the best photos in history are technically abysmal, really, mm. um, but they were in the right place at the right time, and they captured a moment. That's that's what it's about, isn't it? I mean. The one that springs to mind, it's only because I, I watched a, a documentary on YouTube about it the other day. I'm probably a little bit morbid, but um, I'll go there anyway. But the photographer that caught the falling man from the uh, the Twin Towers in 9-11. In yeah. Now, he, he's been, in some circles, vilified for that photo. And, and, and people still to this day can't look at that photo. Mm. But if you look at the photo and you think about it technically, it, the man's not in focus. Um it's it's grainy do you know what i mean you, you could sit there and, and 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 really critique the actual technical nature of the photo but it's one of them images that will be around for hundreds of years that and that people will look back on and go what what must that person have been going through in that moment yeah and i think it's it's it's, it's one of those things again it's like, again being morbid you sort of like photos of the holocaust and from the concentration camp stuff, it's like they're horrible pictures to look at, 
and you know and in your mind you sort of question why is that photo taken but when you sit back in the cold light down you think if that picture's not taken we don't have a record of it when we don't have a record of it, we can't point and go this can't happen again you know it's they, they become important documentaries of history and it, it, you know in the process of taking it it might be a bit morbid that you're taking pe- people jumping out of the out of the towers but but that stands as a record now of something that happened and we can always go back and go you know something like this can never happen again there should never ever be a situation whereby people are jumping for thinking the best course of action is to jump off of a however many floor building like that you know it's 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 so important that we capture the stories and whether the photos are good or not you know it's that human element adds so much to everything i think yeah no definitely i mean the the same photographer um who uh, who took that photo was actually there when uh, it wasn't jfk but it might have been his brother uh, was it robert kennedy yeah. um was shot um he was he was there at that moment um and there's a photo of him taking a photo that he took basically stood on a table over uh, robert kennedy as he lay there dying Mm. and and again it's another photo that he's been heavily sort of criticized for over the years but his response to that sort of criticism is and we're talking like photojournalism here it, that's his job it's his yeah. job to record these moments these these historic events it's his job to, to sort of capture that and to to sort of deliver that that image um, um, to not only the, the press agencies and the newspapers and the nowadays the online media and whatnot, but to everyone on the planet, so that they can see what happened and learn from it, hopefully, and sort yeah, of you, move on you from can't, it. You can't just take photos of pretty stuff, can you? No, you can't. You, you just that's can't. Not, that's, not what, that's not what photojournalism is about. It's no. sometimes it is to shock you, um, whether intentionally or not. But it is to it's it's storytelling, and not every story has got a happy ending, unfortunately. Well, look no. at the news at the moment. Is there any good news on the news these days? No, especially some of the stuff that's coming out of Turkey and Syria at the minute. Um, and some of that is just it's, yeah, it's, it's unreal. You know, you just can't. You, you think you've seen it all, uh, and then all of a sudden something like that will come along, and you just think, you know, puts your life just, into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, it does indeed. It really does. It really does. This got deep quick, didn't it? It did. Oh, it did. <laughs> did. Let's yeah. back on the planes. Yeah. Back on the but, planes. So yeah, okay. So let's, so let's move on from that then. Let's move on to to you, Mark. Tell us a bit more okay. in a bit more in depth about what you do. I mean, obviously, most of the stuff you do now is metal birds and feather birds. So, sort of tell us. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Um, I mean, aviation aside, really, um, I mean, the wildlife side of it is something that me and Amanda can share. So we we do trips, we do little breaks where it will involve walking, but it will involve wildlife as well. So um, we've just come back from Greece. We spent five days in Greece shooting um, Dalmatian pelicans. Well, I, I was doing the photography, Amanda was watching. Um, and and that was it was fantastic fantastic scenery a good getaway but but you're active i'm I'm shooting stuff i love we're both together so it, it is kind of good um but with the wildlife photography um and even if we're going out to an rspb reserve or just out on a long walk where you know pretty much there might be buzzards or kestrels or stuff like that um the wildlife for me is it's a good downtime as well it's a very peaceful um kind of pastime it's 
it kind of really gets rid of gets rid of your stress. Um, I remember uh, during COVID when we was all locked in, I did a birds in the garden project for a magazine, um, and I was basically just getting stuff in the garden and making making perches. I did a reflection pond with a sort of like a garden tray. Um, and setting up all sorts of shots um, because obviously in that time we were we were going sort of stir crazy stuck in our houses and and gardens and we were lucky that the that the weather at the time was lovely um but we were kind of you know trying to keep ourselves busy so um wildlife um for, for me and, and amanda sort of kept us sane really because we could sit in our garden with you know the birds would come along i'd be happy doing the photography Amanda would be sat there with a glass of wine, possibly um, watching as well. But it's it's kind of relaxing and and it's, you know, you've got your photography going there, but it's also just peaceful watching. You know, we could get up early in the morning, toddle out to the garden and come back. Um, but it's just kind of a, a stress relief. Mm. Um, but, but we travel around, we go up to Scotland, um, which is nice. It's a good drive up to Scotland. Um, we go to the Cairngorms. So we sort of shoot in uh, mountain hare is a particular favourite of mine. I've still not got the shot I want, which is a mountain hare in the snow. Because um, every time I've been to Scotland when it should be snowing, it hasn't. Um, the closest I got was the morning we left after 10 days, it started snowing and I wasn't a happy bunny, no pun intended. Um, but the, it, with mountain hares, just for the people that don't know, they, they change colour in the winter. So mountain hare are hunted by eagles um and in when it's snow obviously um they're very easy to to find if they're brown so in in winter they their coats change to white um so getting a a, a white mountain hare in the white snows is, is a lovely picture that i've never achieved um although i did photoshop one to make it look like oh. it had been snowing oh gosh like a sky replacement um <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, but, you know, it's great there. You can see eagles. Um, you've got stag. Uh, you've got all sorts. But it's, it's a great place to, again, to de-stress. But, uh, you know, my wildlife very much is is a, a couple thing as well. We both do stuff together. Um, but we've had trips all over. We, we don't tend to venture south where we live, which is sort of part of Midlands. We're Milton Keynes, unfortunately. Um, so it's typically northern side of things. So we have been to sort of Lincoln. Uh, we do Snowdonia, places like that. And when we go to see our friends in America, um, quite often we'll we'll go to um, nature reserves over there. So you've seen totally different kind of wildlife. Uh, but again, it's not it's not holiday kind of stuff, but it's it's great. It gets you out to want to do stuff um, and you're doing it together, which is great. So you can have a day out at a nature reserve and it's really good fun. Um, we went to Mexico last year as a, as a beach holiday, um, but I always take my camera um with the, the 200 600 lens on it um and just wandering around the resort was was some fantastic wildlife there were there were pelicans diving um in the sea there was an osprey diving catching fish um just at the back of where we were sunbathing i actually found a pygmy owl which are about six inches tall um just absolute total fluke that i spotted it so mm. it's so it, it's kind of i mean i love, absolutely love wildlife it's a, it's a it's a very much a big passion i don't do as much at the moment as i have been because we just got a, a dog last year um so it means obviously a lot of nature reserves you're not allowed to take them although mm. the dog is it's a mini dash hound so it's so bloody small it wouldn't do anything anyway yeah um but it's so it's kind of taken it a, a taken a back step but um yeah i have a lot of friends that do wildlife photography as well and it's it's all everyone's 
it's a real chilled out hobby really mm. um unless you get a rare bird if you get a rare bird then it can get a bit crazy with people um yeah. uh, we went to see one bird once and that was out lincoln way and uh, i kid you not i mean it was the size i forget what it was called um i should remember and it's like a robin but it's got a blue blue throat but it was we, we was driving around the, down this road and I said, well, it's obviously over there. And I kid you not, there must have been 70 to 80 photographers looking at the bird, <laughs> the size of a robin. Literally, they'd, they'd surrounded it with tripods, some people laying on the ground, some people had tripods, waiting for this tiny little bird to walk out of the, the, the rushes where it was to put to catch a mealworm. And as soon as it came out, it was like paparazzi. It was like <laughs> everyone's saying about be quiet, be quiet, but actually it did not give a shit. It just came out, pecked away, all this bloody racket, had a look at people and went back in. So it can be quite calming <laughs> until there's a rare bird around uh, because you can get apps that will tell you roughly the location. Um, and then the, the 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 very keen birders, um, as we are spotters, uh, they are birders. God, don't call them twitchers. Um, the birders <laughs> will... Um, yeah, there, there, there is, um, and they'll fight you for the best spot. It's a bit like a bum fight at, at going to see Just Jane at, at Kirkby. You know, it's <laughs> everyone wants everyone wants it head on on, on the centre line, and it's the the photographers when they got a rare bird are just the same. It's it's all for one. Mm, um, yeah, it, it's crazy. But on the whole, it's it's so relaxing, so relaxing. There's nothing like wildlife photography, really. The hard thing with wildlife photography is getting those the good shots because unless you you can you can pay for the professional hides where it is kind of easy to be fair I mean, i can i can guess a, a, a paid hide shot a mile off and i see him time and time again as a as a judge um but when you're out in the wild it's very difficult to to have that perfect backdrop because obviously with a backdrop you want nice you want some distance from the subject to the background so you've got that nice bokeh you know, there's, there's going to be twigs in a bloody way that the sun's in the wrong direction. You know, it's it's nestled in amongst all sorts of stuff. It, it's it's so difficult. So it's very hard sometimes to get the perfect shots. And some, sometimes you just have to work for it as well if you can get into the position. So you really do have to think about it. But it's it's uh, I, I think it's it's a great pastime and it links very, very well with aviation. Um, so so many friends of mine are, are very much into the to the wildlife as well. To be, to be honest, Mark, some some of the shots you've got in the last twelve months from from like wildlife, specifically birds, like they've blown me away, and they've actually made me want to start trying to trying to get shots because, like, firstly, the puffins that you got um, over on scope was it Scoma? I think it was. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that was our um, first trip to Scoma. Um, typically, we we do Northumberland. We've been going there for over ten years, and we take a trip out to the Farne Islands in sea houses. Yeah. Um, but you only get sort of an hour to take photos of puffins. Um, it's brilliant, but it is kind of like a shooting range. Uh, you are in amongst the puffins, and they fly really fast. Um, we went to Scoma. Um, Scoma has a, like a little hostel. There's about 16 beds there. So you can stay on the island for either two nights or three nights. But the booking opens and it sells out within a couple of hours. Um, but we managed to get on it. We went there last year just for two nights. But, so, but you can basically go out when you want. So because you stay there, whilst they have day trippers going there, you really miss out on the best time of day. 
and with wildlife the best time of day is first thing and last thing um yeah. sun, sunrise sunsets very much like landscape photography um so yeah we, we were going out at sort of half five in the morning so i was getting the sunrise pictures and nice i kind of like the silhouette pictures of puffins um so i'd go out in the morning and get those come back we'd have breakfast i'd then go out i did get some nice head-on shots of puffins coming in with the the sand eels in their mouth that was about yeah. 11 that was about 11 o'clock because i did want the sun in a certain position so i'd kind of went out and saw the shot i wanted but the light really wasn't right for it so we went back and then came out and got that um and and then it was a matter of just we had some great walks around the island it's a lovely trip if you can ever do it it's a it's a it's a great island to get onto yeah to be honest um, I've, I've i've wanted to get over to scoma for the last couple of years to just try my hand at like getting some like puffing shots and and just to see see the place with my own eyes but it's, it's very yeah, good that... probably a day trip would probably be okay for that because mm. um because quite often and i had this so we went to greece uh with the dalmatian pelicans um but what i found was i was because i was so desperate to shoot dalmatian pelicans most of the shots i got on the first and the second day were shots of dalmatian pelicans and i was over the moon with them but I, there really wasn't much thought that went into it and it was really only on the last day that i got my best shots there because i'd calmed down yeah because i because i'd taken a few thousand shots of the pelicans and then my brain was saying okay i've got all these but there's really nothing that's grabbing me at the moment they're all brilliant but not all brilliant but they're all because they were such a great subject it's a bit like puffins they're so unique yeah everyone sees a puffin and it's it's crazy but Mm. then you've got you've got to take photos and as photographers we want the best we can yeah so probably a day trip to scoma initially um for someone like you who's not shot puffins would be brilliant because you'll be overwhelmed by it yeah, yeah. That probably photography will take second place. You're walking around and the puffins will come and walk in front of you. And, and they are the most incredible birds to see. Um, and literally their burrows are at the sides of the path. So they tell you very strictly there, you stay on the path. Yeah. Stay on the path. Do not venture. You get some photographers and we get it in every genre that will push the limits and they will to get that shot, which they never get. Um <laughs> But literally, these puffins, you walk by them, you can get phone shots of some really nice portrait shots of the puffins with your phone. They're that near to you. Yeah, but it's crazy. If you've never seen them before, it's it, it can be like, what the hell am I doing here? It's crazy. You've got puffins. So they'll, they'll, they've got their burrows. They, they, they have one. They give birth to one puffling. Um, and that's all they have. And they feed that puffling sand eel. So they'll, they'll leave the burrow. They go out to the sea. They'll get their beak full of sand eels. And then they come back in. What happens when they come in is the, the gulls um, want the sand eels. So they're coming in. The gulls attack them. Um, and they'll either make it through the gauntlet of gulls back into their burrow. Um, or what they do is they fly around again. And they, yeah, and they yeah. keep trying to get that and it's 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 a crazy spectacle to watch but you can you can literally be standing on a path and puffins will be whizzing by your ear and, <laughs> and you can feel the wind as they go by and it's it's kind of surreal yeah, um, yeah so again it's like photography almost steps back and it's the, the experience of like whoa what is going on here there's so much and it's such such an alive place scoma and the farn islands 
yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of very magical and once you've done it once you you will keep wanting to go back it, yeah so definitely I mean, like, the, shots, the shots that you that you got and i mean i've seen shots from there before from different photographers but specifically that one that you mentioned with the sand eels in the mouth and the wings sort of out, yes. outstretched that was I, mean, I was just i think we were all when we saw that we're just like oh wow <laughs> i mean I, I, i've been trying for a, probably uh seven eight nine years to get that shot um you you get it's a bit like aviation anyone can rock up at lake and even coningsby or fair you know fairford anyway and get shots of aircraft you go to scomer and farne islands get shots of puffins but there's there's a massive gap between a shot of something and a shot of something yeah, you know yeah. i mean i i i met a guy going back to greece because it's very recent but the, the guy we was there with is is another level because he shot them so many times He's looking for that unique image constantly. So, you know, I I got some, I mean, I got a few shots that were good, but the first couple of days that they were just pelican shots. His shots are on another level because there's that thought that goes into it. So going back to the puffins in Scoma, you know, it's kind of like once you once you've got into that, great, you start then adjusting your mindset to, okay, well, what shot do I want? And everyone wants that. I think coming towards you with a beak full of sand eels. So then you then you start sussing out what the sand what the puffins are doing. Like I say, they leave, they leave the burrow, they go round, they get the, the sand eels, then they come round. So you can start watching them. And you go, okay, it's coming in, it's coming in. Oh, it didn't make it that time. And you can actually watch them go around a full circle. So you watch which ones are coming to the burrows and you kind of got to wait. And sometimes you'll get it, sometimes you won't. But on that occasion last year, I, I did get it. And it was one of those moments. It was a big crop, unfortunately um but it was one of those moments you looked on the back of the camera and got i've got it now actually yeah. got the shot i've always wanted so it's yeah, kind of yeah. a, a slam dunk on that so on to kind of the next shot which i've got there also because again you've got more time there if you've got an hour on an island it's panic panic mm. but we were there for a couple of days this year we're booked in for three days yeah um but again you could go out in the weather's pants um so you can get a different images um, when the weather's not so good, but it can scupper the whole day. Um, and, and when you're on islands, sometimes the boat, you can book in. So we're booked in for three days, but if the, the weather's not right, the boat won't go and that's your trip gone. Yeah, yeah. But, well, so I, much, highly recommend it. I think, I think like, uh, uh, like I say, you've definitely inspired me to go and I'm pretty sure that I will do a day trip at some point when, when, when I can uh, squeeze it into the schedule. But I think just drawing parallels back to, aviation photography and specifically about what you were just talking about there um with um thinking about the shot before you take it um i think we were all the first time we all went to an air base or an air show we were just there spraying and praying and just shooting everything and coming back with twenty thousand shots to sort through and whatnot and we probably like we've all already mentioned we were probably guilty of that last year at riyadh as well but I'm yesterday that. <laughs> yesterday when i was at coningsby I didn't do that, and I was just thinking, right, I, there's there's a list of shots that I know the spot I'm going to at Coningsby because I've been there before, I've done the groundwork, I've put the time in before, I know where I'm going, I know where the light's going to be, I know what the conditions are going to be, I know the sort of shots that I want to get, and I went there and I thought like that whilst I was there for the entire day, and I think that ties in very closely to what you were just describing about the puffins, yeah. in that you've put the time in over the years, and that you've been chasing a specific shot for, for all that time. And then thankfully last year you got it. 
Yeah. Like you say it was a massive crop, but we'll never know because you got a Sony A1 and you could crop, <laughs> you could crop like a million times in and it would still look well, great. <laughs> I think, I think the, thing, the thing I found about Mark is you'll say, oh, yeah, that was, that, well, that was a heavy crop. But it was just, just a picture of a Dalmatian pelican. Those <laughs> yeah. Dalmatian pelican shots, I, I was at one point very close to just throwing my camera in the bin and just giving up completely. You know, and, and some of those shots have got no crops. It's crazy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, so, so I was going to say, like, I was, like, my next question was going to be talk to me about pelicans because those, those shots you came back from, was it Greece? Was it? It was, yeah, it was Greece. It was, a, it was uh, the Kikini um, Nature Reserve, I think it was, like Lake Kikini, so northern Greece. But it's the pelicans themselves. So it's, I, I didn't know this before when I there's nine species of pelicans, and these are the biggest of the pelicans. Um, but they are absolutely stunning. Um, but you can only generally capture them photographically, really, during the winter months. Um, because in the in when 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 the water's warm, they can fish, so they don't come near you. Uh, when right. the water when the water gets cold, the fish go low, um, so the pelicans can't dive down to get them. So the local fishermen basically feed them the fish that they don't need, right. so the pelicans are okay. That so gives you the photographic opportunity to that catch you, them. So, yeah, so what's happened over over years, it's a bit like um, Gigrim Farm for red kites. Um, you know, there's loads of kite there and they've been kept there because they get, they get fed. So the pelicans know this food and they get fed. So what's happened is wildlife photographers or wildlife photographer companies, tour companies, have latched onto this and, and they're setting up all these tours and you can go out on boats um, and go by the shore and capture these absolutely insane images um but you know it's let's let's oh, they are really really good images but if we put it really you know when you've got a great subject in such fantastic surroundings it's a bit like having a, a stunning model in a in a studio you can't really take a bad photo you can but you know it's, my amanda took some good photos of a little point and shoot she's got a scooby on how to take a photo but it's like you know and and, and she's come back with some great shots yeah because yeah. the sub the subject is is great a cat you know a point and shoot is is focusing well you know you've got a backdrop of snow-topped mountains yeah you know and a, and a gorgeous pelican it's so you, you know you kind of you're going to come away with some good shots anyway but this is where the creative mind comes in and you've got to make better shots than the average shots well, that's it because um, I don't think she was putting. I don't think she was putting her point and shoot in the water like you were with your uh, Sony A one. I I was so worried with my camera. I was hanging over the side of this boat, um, and in fact, this is where you know thank the Lord for mirrorless because you could not have done it with a DSLR. No way, um, because you've got your eye autofocus now. You've got you flip your mm. screen up. You know, I normally back button focus, but I had to. You de get the action that one so the shutter but i was literally hanging over i've moved this the the little tripod thingy upwards hung it over kind of roughly where i thought and i was just pressing the button but I, the thing is with wildlife and, and a lot of even aviation it's the you, you, the lower you get the, the better the perspective mm. um and the lower you get the you know if you if you take a photo of a bird looking down on in your garden it's going to look it's not going to have anything particularly well it could be a blackbird eating a bit of bread if you lie down on the grass with it the background just disappears you've mm. got all that soft bokeh and it's the same with anything so again with any any subjects really with wildlife it's getting on there getting on their sort of eye level really so hanging it out the boat and it was it wasn't easy my ribs were hurt 
Um, but because it was a boat with about eight people on, every time it rocked and it was moving as well. But if there was a large person on there, which there was, when they moved, the boat kind of really tipped. So I was wanting my camera level with the water. So when it tipped, it literally went under. And I reckon it, it was only probably about an eighth under. But it was enough that when I picked my camera up and did and tilted it, the water was coming out of the lens hood. <laughs> uh, it was like a watering can. So it was kind of like, so a big thumbs up to Sony. They are weatherproof. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, 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 there was a couple of shots that came back that if I didn't get the right camera angle, I would, the, the shots wouldn't have been the same. And, and yeah. other people on that boat trip, whilst they were low, they weren't low, low. Yeah. And and like like we all know with the ladies, you know, a few inches can make a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed, indeed. No, it's it's really interesting, mate. Because like so, like I say, some some of your non-aviation shots are really inspiring. And uh, although uh, I probably haven't got the budget for Greece at the minute and pelicans, <laughs> Scoma's much more achievable. So. Um, it's a cracking it's a cracking day out and and yeah. even if you you know you've got you've got stuff in wales you've got gigrim farm um yeah. which is a red kite center there's there's numerous different hides there there's low hides medium height there's high height but it is just the farmer comes out every day same time and 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 the meat goes down and it's just like a, a, um it's just a fest of birds everywhere but again, it's difficult. You've got to latch onto a bird, and it's the same with the puffins. You you find a bird and you latch onto it. Gigrim Farm, it's it's great day out. Just go there and and just go. This is awesome, and just focus on a red kite and just keep shooting, and they, they will do some great stuff for you. There's some great wildlife days out there. There really are. Mm. Um, I mentioned very early on, and there's RSPB Bempton Cliffs up north. Brilliant day out. Gannets there are a fantastic bird to watch, and it's. You know, you go along there, you've got lovely gannets, you've got the, the, the views are great. There's puffins there as well. Um, and they have a resident barn out there. So there's, there's some great days out to be had with wildlife, really great days out. And you can mix it in with family as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, yeah. so you get some brownie points out when you want to sneak, <laughs> off, you want to sneak off to an airbase. That's it. That's it. You've got to cash them in, ain't you? You've got to cash them in. Yeah, uh, Rob, what about you? Because you've sort of orchestrated this whole podcast so far, and we've not heard about your um, extracurricular pursuits outside of aviation. Yeah, it's quite interesting. A lot of what Mark says resonates with me and what I do in my photography. I mean, I, I came to photography uh, very late. I mean, I, I was about 30 when I first picked up a camera, and the main reason I did it was because the wife and I travel around a lot, and we sort of go abroad quite a lot, and we go to, used to go to a lot of English heritage sites and National Trust stuff. And, I used to just take a camera with me, everyone. I still do. Wherever I go on holiday, I've got a camera with me because you never know what you're going to catch. And over the years, I kind of started moving towards um, focusing more on landscape stuff um, and seascape stuff. Um, Most particularly, I mean, uh, East Anglia is sort of one of my um, favourite grounds. Um, I remember a, a, a photographer once said, so it's great being able to go to loads of different locations, but pick a location and get to know it really well. So for me, landscape and seascape photography is something that has um, become my default separate thing from aviation photography. And um, more specifically, I'm mostly interested in the human impact on landscapes and seascapes. So I don't like the big wide vistas that you'll get within, a, like, but you get the, the photographers to go all the way to a mountain and get like a big mountain shot and stuff. That doesn't interest me. But where if you've got a bit, uh, got a sunset 
in Norfolk because Norfolk is great for big skies and big like sunsets and, yes. and sunrises. But if you've got, I mean, it, one of the things that I focus on quite a lot in, in Norfolk is um, abandoned churches, right? So I'm not religious in any way, shape or form, but I have a massive respect for the design and sort of stories behind churches. Now, in Norfolk, there are believed to be, I think, somewhere around 100 former towns and villages that have over the years since medieval times have disappeared but each one of those well they would have had a church and over the years those churches have become abandoned because of reasons for that the seas moved and and that sort of thing so you can find lots of different churches in norfolk in different states of ruin from different eras in time i mean there are some there that are sort of nearly a thousand years old and along the seafront you obviously get there's lots of uh, world war ii defenses and pillboxes and stuff lighthouses and Piers and it's being able to bring those elements of the human interaction of the landscape that is one of the things that i really am passionate about um and equally it's it's like mark says it's there's a, a sort of a, a real calming nature to it because you know the best time for landscape photography is first thing in the morning and just before the sun goes down and it's I mean, for me, it's a real kind of therapy because I'll go and normally it's got to be in the winter because, you know, during the summer months, you've got to be up at like three o'clock in the morning for a sunrise. And But you, it's like you're looking sort of any time from about when the clocks change in October through to when the clocks change in March tends to be the prime period for it. But it's there's a certain aspect about seascape photography, especially is you're you'll be down on the beach at sort of half past five in the morning in the dark. You've worked out roughly where the sun's going to be. You can judge what the sky is going to be like you can see what the clouds are going to be doing and you can move around for a bit then you set your tripod up and then effectively it's just you and the world around you there's no people around you might occasionally get the odd dog walker and occasionally you'll get you'll get another photographer out there and that that's one of the joyful things i like about it is that because of the times are so antisocial it's not very often unless there's a, going to be a solar eclipse or something right above chroma pier for example um you're going to get you'll very rarely see anyone else who's a photographer so it's really easy not to get in each other's way which is good um but yeah it's it's one of those things it's just like i've taken so many pictures of sort of chroma pier and sort of around that area but the one thing i can guarantee with landscape and seascape photography is no picture will ever be the same and one of the things i do tend to do is i like to sometimes go back to the same spot set up in the same spot and then look at the pictures i've taken from that that same spot and there is nothing similar about any of them it's all different the cloud formations are different the sky colors are different the way the lights are reacting on the sea is different um the the amount of sea spray is different and, and it's one of those things that you can if you've got it's one of those if you've got limited time and but you're willing to get up and stay till late you can get so many different pictures just by going to the same place yeah. and then within that with seaside towns especially there's a certain kind of I mean, if, if if you ignore the places like sort of Great Yarmouth and Hunstanton, where they're a little bit kind of modernised, sort of kind of tacky seaside towns, if you go places like Cromer or Whitby, Southwold, and um, anywhere in Cornwall, basically along the coast, there's when you step back off of the seafront, when the sun when the the sun's up, you can walk around, you can get some lovely shots of old sort of classic towns and. Uh, it's uh, especially when you go to seaside towns a lot of it is to do with a lot of the, the main thing outside of tourism is fishing and yeah. one of the things i love to do is um is i love to go get my sunrise shots and then i walk down and i'll go to the sort of the, the harbor or where they're pushing the boats out and and watch the fishermen doing their things and then trying to catch them bringing the catch back in later on 
I mean, in, uh, in Cromer, for example, they literally pushed the boats down the beach and well, they, they rammed them into the sea on the back of a tractor. And it, it's quite fun just to sit there and watch the the day-to-day life of people within this landscape. And it's, it, it is one of those things. It, it, I love the, the seascape and landscape photography is the thing that I don't do with the wife because the, the hours are so antisocial that she, she just says that just disappear for a weekend and do your thing. <laughs> And I, I just love just sitting there, peace and quiet, and just then just watching the sun come up. And it, it's it, one of those things as well. It's You can keep snapping, but you can't because you get to a point where the light is fleeting. The light yeah. might be perfect for four or five seconds, and that's when you've got to catch it. And it, there's a challenge to it because obviously if you're if you're, the sun's coming up, your camera settings have to change. Every every bit time a bit more light, you have to change the settings. But getting that shot is a real challenge, and then yeah. you just get to a point where that's it. Boof, light's gone, you know. And it's that yes, yes, you can take pictures, but they're just going to be pictures. And it's a, it's therapeutic. But there's a, a there sometimes will be a mad frantic one, especially if it's a cloudy day, and then you get a chink of sun. It's like oh, quick, I've got to get it now. And it's yeah, it's that therapy that you get from it, that, that calming sort of um, just chilled out, relaxing things. And then again, I mean, as I said, we travel a lot. So we go around Europe to a lot of sort of old towns. I always take a camera with me because it's one of those things where I can just wander off and take pictures of the architecture or cobbled streets and whatever. Or we went to Valletta and there's loads of still World War II damage and medieval war damage. And walking around there, I can do that. Wife can sit there. She can have a glass of wine, you know. And I love doing stuff like that because it's so different from aviation and I'm as I said, as I said earlier on. I'm a big proponent for trying different things and um, shooting different genres and types of photography because you just learn so much more than just because because you just end up in a situation where you can just be right. Well, I'm going to be um, shutter priority. I'm going to have auto ISO, and that's it. You just then fire away. When you're doing sort of landscape photography, street photography, or wildlife photography, you have to change. You have you can't just stick with a setting and, and hope. That it's going to work yeah. you have to adapt yourself and you learn so much more from it Look, that's the one thing that ties all of these different photographic pursuits outside of aviation together is the fact that you that you're learning new skills with the camera and you're always you sort of progressing forwards uh, and um it gives you like, like like you said like an escape sort of thing and you can sort of uh take things at your own pace that's why i like going low level spotting like going back to aviation like you spend hours hours at a time just standing on the side of a mountain waiting for a jet to come through but those mm. times are so calming and you can just chill out and just watch the world go by watch like this small stream of cars going past on the a road below you sort of thing and just yeah just be at one with the world until a, a fast jet comes through and wakes you back up again and <laughs> all of a sudden it's a mad 20 seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah is and I, I think it's one of those things we lose as aviation photographers because you know we are guilty of rocking up somewhere and just firing away at things in the sky. We kind of lose that that you know we got into photography for different reasons and we have different passions outside of that. And I think it's it's always and it's one of the things I want to do more with this podcast is to talk more about what we are as photographers and that because I feel like we we can talk about airplanes and that till the cows come home. But you know, there's so much more to photography, and you know, I think we we run the risk of losing it at times just by, I mean, I don't define myself as an aviation photographer. I mean, I, I call myself a photographer. I just happen to shoot aviation, you know, and I think it's one of those things that it's easy to forget, but it's so important to remember that it's a, 
but there are other things out there and i think it's so rewarding when you do step away from the fence and uh try different things definitely totally agree agreed but i think with that in mind i think we're getting towards the end so what i wanted to do is just one final little quick fire thing just to sort of round us off a little bit so your favorite photography location or event anthony go oh um location um probably the ogwen valley in uh snowdonia um because that's where i cut my teeth um doing my landscape photography and i had plans on going back up there a few weeks back when it was snowing up there uh to get back in the mountains with the snow and whatnot um so i'll always love that place because it's what got me into photography um and yeah I, i do try and go back as often as i can when i'm not distracted by planes wonderful lovely mike um i i was actually thinking about this earlier and i know i've talked about cycling but one of the favorite places i've ever taken photos is actually in lisbon and is it probably the only time i've really dabbled in in street photography and you know i'm i'm one of the shyest people you meet but i was happy just chatting to people who might not even spoken english Mm. just asking them if they mind having their picture taken or just going about their business snapping away and you know everybody was like Ant said everybody was up for it and there's just something about the way that the, the city is it's it's you know it, there's trams that like trams that are like probably nearly 100 years old mm. um and just street art street artists um musicians just everything going on everywhere and it was just if if you're into photography in any any way it was just like a, a paradise of just things going on so yeah really really loved it there recommend it for anybody who's traveling take a camera mark what about you uh favorite places or favorite place to me is going back to northumberland and sea houses where you've got the Farne islands the puffins are a big always been a big draw for me for 10 or so years so yeah i look forward to that trip every year puffins turns seals you're going out on the boat you, you one day it'll be rough water next day it's like going out on a of glass it's, it's incredible so it's it's, a, it's something i look forward to every year. lovely stuff um from my side it's um it is a, uh like mike it is somewhere uh international and it's uh bled in slovenia i've only been there a couple of times but i'm looking to go back again um the lake there it's one of those places where it is impossible to take a bad shot it's i'm sure it's one of those if you search it it's just like it's this lovely idyllic lake within the middle of the mountains and... i think i know the the one that you're talking about because my old television an lg television used to use a picture of that lake has it got like a little island an island with, with a, like church, a in the middle. church on it yeah yeah, yeah. that was yeah, the screensaver on my tv for about six years so i know exactly where you're on about <laughs> yeah this it's really handy they've got this little walkway that's just on that's on the sort of the banks of the lake and it takes you around and you can get this big wide vista in where you've got the mountains on the left-hand side. And depending what time of year it is, they'll be covered in snow. On the right-hand side of it, you can get the uh, the church, the island of the church in. And it's, it's. I mean, I've been twice in two different seasons and the shots are so very, very different, even though they are from practically the same spot. Um, it's, it's such an amazing place to go. And it helps that they've also got this really nice cake, a local cake they've got. It's like a... You know the um, cream slice, custard slice dessert yeah. sort of things? They have one of those, but they are massive. Yeah. And oh, it's it's one of the 
one of the nicest cakes you'll find anywhere in Europe. Oh, you sold me. It's got a nice lake and cake. Lake and cake. Happy days. Got <laughs> <laughs> my list now. Slovenia is lovely. I mean, it's it's such a small um, country. You can drive across it in an hour. Um, and it's got some of the some of the best roads um, I've experienced in Europe. And yeah, it's you can pl- plunk yourself in the the capital city. The capital city's got so much history in it. It's amazing. And then you drive out to Lake Bled. It's about half hour, forty minutes away, and it's like two different worlds. Um, but yeah, no, if that's one definitely to put on your list. And to be fair, anywhere in Slovenia. There's lots of mountains, lots of history. It's a great place to go and visit and photograph. So I think that's brought us to the end. Um, before we go around, everyone, I thought we'd, we'd mention something we've got coming up. We are looking to do, um, probably towards the end of March, we are looking to do a Q&A podcast where we will answer all of your questions. Hopefully there'll be a group of us on it. So we'll be looking to sort of receive questions from yourselves uh, going forward. So keep an eye out on the Facebook for that. Um, we'll put any announcement about it on there that should be quite a good fun one we've not done something like that before so that'll be a bit of an engineering challenge but i'm sure we can make it make it work but yeah let's uh let's go around everyone and work out where we can find you uh mike where can people find you if they want to see your work um mainly on instagram really um just mike keatley photography and mark how about you um mainly instagram for me um which is mark linen a-r-k-l-y-n-h-a-m perfect and anthony yeah, uh, Instagram mainly, so it's Anthony underscore Fogarty underscore Aviation. Uh, I have got a YouTube channel, which has recently passed a 1,000 subscribers, which I'm very happy about. Um, so check that out. It's just Anthony Fogarty. Um, yeah, that's enough plugs from me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And from my side, you can find me. My aviation stuff is at RS7 Aviation on Instagram. And I also have a non-aviation page, which is uh, Rob Slusa Photography. Um, you can find a link through that through the aviation one because I appreciate my surname is a strange one to spell. So we will <laughs> make it easy for yourself and go to the aviation one first. And obviously, as the aviation group, we have Avgeeks Assemble as an Instagram tag. We also have the Facebook, which again is Avgeeks Assemble. Please come on over. We've got a thriving community on the Facebook, which is constantly growing. And we're on there quite a lot. We have daily themes, uh, weekly competitions and obviously we any announcement about live streams we're doing or you know podcasts q a anything we're doing events we're going to it's all going to be on our facebook so head on over to facebook have geeks assemble and uh, join up there so all i've got to say is thank you very much guys thanks for coming i've really really enjoyed this one this has been a really good good yeah, fun it's been podcast. A great pod. yeah really enjoyed it thank you very much so yeah once again thank you very much and thank you for everyone else who's listening who's stuck around this long and we will see you at the fence Thank you for listening to this episode of the Avgeeks Assemble podcast. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Avgeeks Assemble.